so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on Tuesday, the 20th of April, 2021. Yes, it is 420. No, I'm not going to make any jokes. But yes, we do have a great show for you here, as we always do. We're going to be talking a little bit about what's behind the controversy over the comments that Maxine Waters made there in Minnesota a couple of days ago. We're going to be talking about a massive hunger crisis that is, well, it's already happening, but looming for many parts of the world. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to start with biking while black. Now, most people have heard of driving while black. That's, of course, the phenomenon whereby black people are far more likely to be stopped for traffic violations or for anything, really, than whites, despite the fact that there is no evidence that they are committing any sort of traffic infractions at a higher rate. Or, for that matter, that searches of their cars reveals any more contraband or whatever it may be. In fact, the opposite is the true. It's actually white people. And we saw the same thing with stop and frisk, for instance, whereby uh, more white people stopped had guns than black people. So either way, it's racism, pure and simple. Dozens and dozens, dozens and dozens of studies have shown this. Well, I regret to inform you that the same appears to be true if you're riding a bike. Yes, biking while black is real something brought into clear relief by a new study out of Seattle detailing how laws around wearing a helmet while biking were enforced. And that study relates that, quote, since 2003, black cyclists received citations at nearly four times the rate of white cyclists, while native cyclists were cited at double the rate. And on top of all of that, there was another report that came out recently saying that 43% of all citations around helmets in Seattle went to homeless people from 2017 to 2021. As the newspaper The Guardian points out, this isn't an isolated stat here either. Black cyclists are, and this is quoting from them again, quote, black cyclists are disproportionately stopped in New Orleans, Washington, D.C., and Oakland, California. In Dallas, police have used helmet laws to stop and question cyclists in neighborhoods of color, according to an analysis by the Dallas Morning News. In a 2016 study by the Department of Justice found that Black people accounted for 73% of bicycle stops in Tampa, Florida, while only making up 26% of the population. And just to underline these stats a little bit here, in Oakland, Black riders accounted for nearly 60% of all police bike stops, and they were stopped more than three times as often as whites, despite representing less than a quarter of the population. 60% of the stops, less than 25% of the population. And further, quote, in New Orleans, the majority white French quarter saw the most stops, while black riders were stopped at a rate five times to their ratio of the neighborhood population. Hmm. 
Now, the difference in many of these cities, actually, in terms of these citations is uh, certainly not black people or white people, but the reason why they're being stopped. And in some of these places like Oakland, the same old usual racist standbys are in play also in Washington, D.C. Most people stop for quote unquote suspicion and quote unquote probable cause. Now, this, of course, has been widely shown over the years to be easily manipulatable to cover for the obvious racist intent involved in various stops. Now, obviously, the issue of helmets, of course, is being used in the same way, at least in Seattle and a couple other places. Now, that's not to say helmets are not important. They are. Kids wear your helmet. Using a helmet is associated with a 51% reduction in the odds of head injury and a 65% reduction in the odds of a fatal head injury. But clearly in Seattle, it's become like the broken taillight. I mean, it's important to signal a lane change as well. But the quote-unquote broken taillight excuse is literally the most well-known mechanism for pulling over black drivers for no real reason. So much so that it's even suffused popular culture even. The real issue is this. As long as criminal behavior is essentially categorized as being a quote-unquote black issue over and above other races, regardless of the actual facts, police officers will, of course, just use any excuse they can to stop black people on a hunch that they might in fact be criminals. Now, again, as we mentioned at the outset, it's worth noting here that the studies done around this, whether it's traffic stops or whether it's into stop and frisk, as well as every lawsuit on the matter, has revealed that black people are not actually more likely to be found with any sort of contraband or anything like that. But despite the facts, the issue persists, which shows it's not about what they say it's about. It's ultimately, at the end of the day, just a good example of how deeply baked into the systematic reality of capitalist racism truly is. Doesn't matter if you're walking, driving, or riding a bike. If you're black, you are more likely to be stopped by police, period. In an alarming letter, Hundreds of aid organizations around the world are warning the United Nations that 20 million people around the world are already experiencing or are soon to experience famine-like conditions. They noted, quote, people are not starving. They are being starved, end quote. They go on to further note that people are, quote, being starved by conflict and violence, by inequality, by the impacts of climate change, by the loss of land, jobs, or prospects by a fight against COVID-19 that has left them even further behind, end quote. And they also note that about $5.5 billion would be needed in food and agricultural assistance to avert famine-like conditions, at least in this moment, but that millions more, really probably billions more, are needed to provide health care, clean water, and other essential services that go into people having a dignified life. But they also note that the funding for these priorities has been going down not up. But they do also note it's not all about money and that governments can take concerted action against wars in particular by ending them that could start to reverse this situation of mass famine, 20 million people. Now, that's certainly a notable fact to consider here, especially when you look at some of the countries that were highlighted in the letter. They mentioned Haiti, for instance, in their list of countries in danger. But hunger in Haiti is ultimately a result of the U.S.-backed dictator Jovenel Moise and the policies the U.S. loves that he pursues, including the destruction of Haitian agriculture, which, by the way, allows cheap American agricultural products to flood the market there, and an orientation towards exports, not food sovereignty. There's also Yemen, currently experiencing a famine right now, caused by a war that the U.S. could stop tomorrow if it really wanted to by pressuring its close ally Saudi Arabia seriously. The letter also mentions Venezuela, 
where the U.S. has used sanctions to attempt to cripple a food program. That food program, CLAP, delivers affordable food to millions of people twice a month. But again, the U.S. has used sanctions specifically against CLAP in order to prevent them from acquiring the necessary food products, creating disruptions and challenges for CLAP. But for the Venezuelan people, all that means is that more people will go hungry just because the U.S. doesn't like the government. Honduras, also on the list of countries that are in trouble, and that's a country that's experiencing food insecurity due to the policies of its right-wing government, also backed by the United States. There's also Zimbabwe, whose agricultural sector has been hard hit by U.S.-U.K. sanctions and Afghanistan, and just no comment needed there. I have to say, I thank these aid organizations for raising this issue because it's long past time people stop acting that U.S. imperialist policies abroad don't starve people. I mean, they do many things, but starvation and famine is a huge issue. There are other issues, important ones, and related to this crisis of 20 million people either facing famine now or imminently in danger of it. But the reality is this. If the U.S. did not try to control the entire world at all times with massive military force and the use of sanctions, there would be less hunger on Earth. I stand with you. Thank you. I am not afraid. I am not intimidated. And I'm going to speak truth to power. Well, that was the voice of Congresswoman Maxine Waters of Los Angeles speaking at a protest in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Waters has been in hot water, if you will, including from the trial judge of the Chauvin trial for some other comments she made at that protest, namely that protesters should stay on the streets and, quote, get more active and, quote, get more confrontational. The right-wing media is having a field day with this, and there have been screaming headlines everywhere from Fox to Breitbart claiming that Waters is just another sign of the dangerous extremism coming from the, quote-unquote, BLM movement, as they call it. The judge in the Chauvin trial said he thought it could prejudice the jury and make an appeal more likely to succeed by Derek Chauvin. And all sorts of people who are just tone policing on the Internet have raised claims somewhere around these two various polls. Now, Waters' comments were made in response to the hypothetical that Chauvin would not be convicted. But in the most general sense, the fact that they caused outrage is really the problem in and of itself or indicative of the problem in and of itself. It's somehow considered outrageous to suggest that more needs to be done to address police terror. Well, consider this. The New York Times has noted that, quote, since testimony began on March 29th, at least 64 people have died at the hands of law enforcement nationwide, with Black and Latino people representing more than half of the dead. As of Saturday, the average was more than three killings a day. So since the start of the Chauvin trial, 64 people killed by the cops, half of them Black or Latino. Three killings a day. The Times noted further about just some of these cases, quote, a Chicago officer chased down a 13-year-old boy in a West Side alley and fatally shot him as he turned with his hands up. One day later at a hotel in Jacksonville, Florida, officers fatally shot a 32-year-old man who police say grabbed one of their tasers. The day after that, as an eyewitness to Mr. Floyd's death broke down in a Minneapolis courtroom while recounting what he saw, a 40-year-old mentally ill man who said he was being harassed by voices was killed in Claremont, New Hampshire, in a shootout with the state police, end quote. 319 people have been killed by the police so far in 2021. In almost all these cases, almost no one will ever be held accountable in any way, shape, or form, something that's clearly reflected by the fact that the cop who killed Jacob Blake is being returned to active duty. 
or the fact that Derek Chauvin himself was involved in multiple choking incidents before killing someone. The anger over Waters' statements reflect something far more visceral and a major part of the conversation around policing in America. The idea that Black people are exaggerating how bad it is. And that's what's behind the whole, well, what about Black-on-Black crime thing? Or the misuse of statistics where people will say, but wait, don't they kill more white people than Black people every year? Or even just the idea that policing is the most dangerous profession when it's more dangerous to be a garbage man than a police officer. And that's no disrespect to garbage men or sanitation workers who obviously have a very hard, very dangerous job. There's an undercurrent of all of it here that more or less suggests that, well, you know, this or that thing may be bad, this or that shooting may be bad, but you're basically overplaying it. Cops are essentially good, and there's no need to do all this disrupting of society because there isn't really that big of a problem, and, you know, the system, quote-unquote, can handle it or whatever. And that exact undercurrent of thinking is exactly why nothing happens. Because whatever people say, the major political parties, no matter how many press conferences they have, don't take this issue very seriously. That's why it really takes uprisings for anyone to move. I mean, you think about the federal indictments against the cops that beat Rodney King. Only happened because the Clinton administration feared another uprising after they got let off by the state court there. The fact that the Fair Housing Act, which passed in 1968, only passed, and this is according to the guy who wrote and sponsored the bill, only passed due to the uprisings in 125 cities after the assassination of Martin Luther King. I mean, even just look at the fact that the cop who killed Dante Wright was arrested and charged within three days. Obviously, that was because the fear of an uprising was palpable for the authorities there in Minnesota. So, Ultimately, at the end of the day, if it, you know, doesn't take any real serious disruptive action for things to change, why is nothing changing? I mean, the first black president didn't even address policing until black people tore up Ferguson. So again, I ask, if it doesn't require it, why isn't anything changing without it? So for everyone out there who feels like protests shouldn't get quote unquote more confrontational, I ask them, what's the alternative at this point? And that's going to do it for us here today for 2021. The punch out here. And don't forget that tomorrow on Wednesday, in addition to our normal punch out 5 p.m. Eastern, we will also have our patrons only version of the punch out. So go to patreon.com slash breakthrough news if you want to get access to that tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern. And we will be back with you wherever you listen to your podcast, 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow for the punch out here on Breakthrough News. Oh, <laughs> 